0: If the mechanisms we have in place um, that we call public safety isn't safe for all, then is it really public safety? Like the fact that for some people in our communities and society um, that are black or brown or poor, when the police show up, it's a completely different story than if you're wealthy or, you know, affluent.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Austin Common Radio Hour. I'm your host, Amy Stansberry, and, as many of you know, I'm a local journalist here in Austin. As part of my job, I cover a lot of city council meetings, and I have to say, I have never seen anything quite like what happened this past summer in Austin, when hundreds of Austinites virtually packed City Hall to make their voices heard about the city's budget. To set the scene a bit, here's a few clips of Austinites testifying at that council meeting.
0: I'm calling today to echo what many speakers have already said, and I stand in support of the work being done by communities of color, grassroots leadership, and the Austin Justice Coalition. I'm asking the city council to reject any budget proposal that does not cut at least $100 from the APD and to reinvest reinvest those funds in the sorts of social services and programs that will actually make our city safer, more livable, and more just, including housing, education, health care, community-led development, and community violence intervention, and restorative justice
2: in the community so far from what I'm hearing suggests at least 100 to 200 million reallocation from the office Police Department to um, things such as civil rights, health care, homelessness, teachers, hospitals, um, to help the betterment of black lives. Um, also for shelters and health care and for COVID and for grassroots organizations and social workers. Um, main reason this is is because the police are not equipped.
1: This money must be reinvested in low-income housing Improvements to health care, increased mental health resources, assisting victims of domestic violence and victims of sexual assault, improving inequities in education, and supporting our black and brown citizens. We are so off track that we expect police officers to handle these issues for our city. We have seen abhorrent acts committed by police officers against nonviolent protesters who were protesting against police brutality. We have heard emotional stories from those calling in today. You know what is right. The time is now. Defund APD by 50 percent this year. Reinvest in those you claim to serve. That's right. Today we're going to be talking about policing and Austin's efforts to reimagine public safety. In fact, this is what we're going to be talking about for the next several episodes, because, quite frankly, this is a really important issue, with implications for the future of safety, racial justice, and equity in this country. It's also an issue that's been clouded in rumors and misunderstanding. So, I invite you all to join us as we spend the next several weeks doing a bit of a deep dive into public safety and policing in Austin. Over the course of the next few episodes, we'll be hearing from researchers, activists, city council members, discussing the history of policing in our city, debunking some myths and rumors, and sharing opportunities for you to get involved in the conversation. But first, a little background. As I just mentioned, in August, Austin City Council did something pretty historic. They voted unanimously to reduce the size of the police department's budget. And this came after months of nationwide and local protests, after the deaths of many, including George Floyd in Minneapolis and and Mike Ramos here in Austin. Calls to defund the police rang out in cities across the country, again, including right here in Austin. And the city's annual budget survey, which allows Austinites to give input on what percentage of our city's budget should be spent on things like parks, libraries, and police, received 37,000 responses. In a quote-unquote normal year, That survey usually only gets about 2,000 to 3,000 responses. In the end, here's the changes City Council ended up voting to approve. First, $21.5 million in cuts to APD's budget. This is money that was pretty much immediately cut from APD's budget, starting in the new fiscal year, which began on October 1st. And they did this by canceling several upcoming cadet classes, eliminating vacant APD positions, and reducing police overtime. That money was then reinvested into other city departments and social services, including EMS and COVID-19 response, equitable food access programs in East Austin, homelessness services, and community health paramedics. $80 million was then put into a decoupling fund. This is money that is currently spent by APD to run things like the 911 call center, forensic lab, internal affairs, victim services, and special events patrol. These are all tasks that city council identified as jobs that could be decoupled from APD and run by civilian-led departments instead. In other words, the services would still be provided, but they would be run by regular City of Austin employees as opposed to police officers. And then, $49 million was put into a reimagining fund. This is money that's spent by APD for things like the police academy, park patrol, traffic enforcement, Mounted Patrol, that's horses, and the Canine Drug Interdiction Unit. These are all tasks that City Council identified as programs that could be eliminated entirely or dramatically changed in favor of public safety alternatives. In total, this added up to about $150 million in cuts and changes to APD's budget, but a lot of this still actually hasn't happened yet. The $21.5 million in budget cuts went into effect nearly immediately again once the city's new fiscal year began in October, but the money set aside for decoupling and reimagining still has to go through a deeper process before changes can be made. The idea here is that the city manager's office, which is helping to coordinate this entire process, will come to city council in March with updates and plans for actually making some of this decoupling and reimagining work happen. And so it's this process, which the city has dubbed reimagining public safety, that's going to be the main topic of today's show. In a minute, we're going to listen in on a conversation I recorded at the end of November with Kathy Mitchell, who's the policy coordinator at Just Liberty, and Chaz Moore, who's the executive director of the Austin Justice Coalition. They both serve on the city's new City Community Reimagining Public Safety Task Force, which is a volunteer group that's been appointed by the city to help guide future policing budget decisions and the larger effort to reevaluate our entire public safety infrastructure here in Austin. Plus, both of their organizations, Just Liberty and the Austin Justice Coalition, are also part of a larger coalition called Austin is Safer When that's doing community organizing work around reimagining public safety in Austin and, as it says on its website, believes that, quote, Austin is safer when we respect all our communities and address each crisis with an appropriate solution, end quote. Okay, here's the interview. Yeah, I, I want to um, talk a little bit about where we are right now. So over the summer, I like think we mentioned, obviously, there was a lot of work that went into advocating around the city council's budget um, for APD. Some big changes were made. I think it was like $20 million-ish in cuts, like $80 million for potential decoupling, and I think $49 million for um, maybe larger-scale reimagining. Um, and again, I think for probably large swaths of Austin population... That's the last they've heard of it (laughs) or they've seen some other headlines in the news. I want to give people an update as to what's been going on since. Um, One of the big things that happened after city council approved that budget is the creation of this city community Reimagining task force, which both of you serve on Um, Chaz. Maybe do you want to tell us what is that task force? Um, What are, what are you guys working on right now?
0: I was actually going to, Point that to kathy
1: all right we'll go for it <laughs> well um keep in mind
3: that the new budget cycle didn't begin until october mm-hmm. so it seems like we've been fighting about this forever but actually we're in like month two of the budget cycle uh the task force has really just begun um this task force is a um, it's a different kind of public process. It was uh, created with the goal of foregrounding the concerns of community based organizations um, and their members and trying to step, front, trying to have the city step back a bit from the, you know, we're going to p- create a thing and then we're going to wait and hear what you have to say about it. And so for that reason, it's taken a bit longer than many bodies because we had to write our own rules of engagement. Now we're in the process of creating work groups that will allow us to work on specific topics. Um, There is a 911 work group. And one of the early things that I expect to happen, uh, both at the city and in the task force, is the... That decoupling of 911 from policing, 911 already is supposed to serve lots of agencies, not just police. It just happens to be run by our police department. Other cities do it differently. So this is this shouldn't be a. Is one of the less complex decouplings, um, but we look forward to that occurring and to moving ahead with rethinking how 911 works because it allows us to really kind of think deeply about what should the response be to a variety of things that people call the city for you know right now we send police to virtually everything uh, but people call the city in all kinds of personal crisis and sometimes police are not the best way to respond to a person's personal crisis so this is a yeah this is a good starting place
1: right so the task force is sort of looking into some of these different areas that uh, the city lined out in the budget as potentially might be things that get decoupled might get completely like changed in in pretty dramatic ways like i know the park patrol and things like that are ones that also have been targeted for do we even need that at all? Or, or what might that look like in the future? Mm-hmm. So, okay, so the task force is working on investigating into these things. I think um, one thing that's key, or, you know, a rumor that I've heard out there is, you know, after the, the budget was passed, is that I think a lot of people thought these changes happened immediately. That's not the case, correct?
3: <laughs> no, in fact, um, all, none of them have occurred yet. The money has been put into um, kind of a sequestered place. All those people who were getting paid before are still getting paid and will continue to be paid after they get moved into a different department. So for at least for 911 and forensics, for a lot of the support services, there's a lot of things that were in that decoupled bucket where really it's about bringing a vision that is broader than the police vision to how those functions work and doing that by bringing them out of the department and allowing them to serve the entire kind of safety discussion.
1: Right. But still providing that service to the community. I think that's another one that, you know, there's a lot of confusion about that just because uh, it's not under APD control doesn't mean that, People still can't call nine one one.
3: Yes, nobody is is. There has been a lot of claims made that you're going to pick up the phone and nobody will answer, and that is <laughs> that is absolutely not true.
1: Yeah, and so part of this also, you know, you have the task force working on this, and then I know the city is also um, conducting a bunch of public input sort of listening sessions. Um, Chaz, I actually had the chance to um, attend the one that AJC helped to put on yesterday um, and thought, well, I mean, I've, I've attended a lot of city meetings and, and like you mentioned before, some of them can be so boring, <laughs> um, but I thought this one was so interesting to like actually have, there was like genuine opportunity for input, which um, I don't see often. <laughs> I wonder if you can just talk a little bit about some of that if you want to like recap for people what that event was or kind of this larger effort to how do we bring in more people that to actually sit down and 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 think deeply about what we want our police force to look like because i think for a lot of people they just have never even critically thought about it before
0: yeah yeah, absolutely you you know i think as we continue to to deeply rethink and reimagine public safety um we have to get as much input uh, from the community um, you know by and large um, as possible because like this is something that's going to affect all of us one way or another. Um, So the city has been doing these little workshops our community meetings if you will um, to get the community's input around um, reimagining public safety you know the the meeting we had different scenarios where maybe, um, you know, it was like a mental health call, it was, you know, some loud music playing and and all these type of things. And we asked people, is this the type of situation in which you will want an, an officer, right? Or, you know, what are some resources that you will want instead of police, any type of incidents? Um, so, you know, and I, I, think it's, I think it's critically important that uh, we, we get as much buy-in from people because we're gonna have to have this huge, um, Buy-in from the community um, as we hopefully build and create this this new um, alternative to to what we now have as policing. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was really informative. It was really awesome to um, have people from all over the, the city come and just talk about um, policing in, in their own perspectives and and how um, maybe we don't need police for all these little things. Um, and I, you know, I think the city has. So far, I've done a really good job of, of starting the process of getting um, the opinions of as many people as possible. And I'm looking forward to um, how this all plays out.
1: Yeah. And one, one thing I thought was interesting about, you know, being part of that conversation is I think another thing that you hear in the news or um, is some of these conversations are being characterized as extremely radical in some way and and I mean I guess in some ways they are and that we're, we're trying to change a system but you know sitting in these conversations and listening to you know my neighbors and fellow Austinites just talk about like their own interactions with police and what they need or don't need from police you know it, it just felt it felt um just like regular it felt far from radical I guess <laughs> just like people discussing um you know a basic city service and um I wonder if you've, either of you have felt that or Chaz, you know, you were helping to moderate that conversation a bit. It was just like, felt like why didn't, why weren't we already talking about this at least for the larger community? I know lots of people have been talking about it in small groups, but. Well, I'll have,
3: uh, I'll say a crazy idea on that front. (laughs) Um, I believe we haven't been talking about this because the system that we have now uh, is now entrenched, Mm
1: -hmm.
3: that its interest, its flag bearers are usually the ones who show up. And Chaz pointed out at the very beginning of this conversation that the thing that Austin Justice Coalition did that was frankly new was they just showed up Mm. at every meeting. If you think about who typically shows up on policing, it's the police union, it's the police management, and it's a handful of public safety interest groups that have always been the sort of flag bearers of the more police mantra. And the rest of us don't show up. Mm-hmm. And when we don't show up, we don't bring that kind of genuine, as you say, this is a city service that could be better and different. And here's my experience. If we actively pursue the experiences of as many people as possible, this is also a city service that a lot more people actually interact with than other kinds of services, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this is in some ways, the front end of all city interaction. And so people are gonna bring what they know to the table. And I think what we're hearing is that they've seen in their own different ways, how the system isn't, is, is failing, is failing them. So, I think that this process is the first time we've tried to dig into that and it's been really refreshing.
1: Yeah and and what's can you can you walk folks a bit through the. um, I know you might not know all of it just from your uh, task force perspective, but a bit of next steps or a timeline for this process. So for people that are wanting to stay engaged with it, obviously they can, I know your your task force meetings are streamed live, people can watch them, um, but um, what, what what kind of milestones are you trying to hit or what, what what are you looking to work on over the next few months? What can people expect to see or opportunities to participate? So
3: I'll just run through the calendar and Chaz can talk maybe about participation. Um, So there will be a, a vote at council sometime in March to kind of complete a lot of these processes that are currently going on. So the city, for example, is handling a lot of the, If we're going to move these civilian employees who work for 911 and they're going to have a new boss at the city, uh, that's an HR issue, Mm -hmm. and the city is actually working through the HR issues that are involved in moving groups of employees from one reporting structure to another reporting structure. So we're not participating in that, thank God. (laughs) Right. Uh, But you know, the deeper conversation about how 911 should retriage or triage calls differently, we expect to be having public conversations about over the next couple of, couple of months probably. Uh, that will then lead to some decisions about uh, funding. So for example, if we feel like there is a whole set of calls around families in crisis And that this may, there may be some of that that has criminal activity, but a lot of it is families in crisis who could use family crisis intervention services. And we know these families because they're in this data set. Um, You know, there could be a conversation about funding alternative family crisis intervention services so that. You know, we don't end up with a family violence spike because of COVID or because of any reason. Uh, So there's going to be a moment where additional funding may need to be applied to some of the things that after due consideration, we see are not crimes, Mm -hmm. they're crises And so I would expect that to be part of the next budget, very likely. Uh, And that process starts in June and then rolls into the next summer.
1: And then Chaz, what opportunities do you see um, if people for people to stay engaged in this process? And, you know, I think like you mentioned before, it is about showing up and it's easy for momentum to be lost or for things to just go back to the way they were? How can people keep the pressure on and stay part of the process?
0: Yeah, well, you know, I think first thing is, um, you know, I I would highly encourage people to stay involved with um, local news, um, whether that's the statesman, or, or you know, Austin Common, wh- whatever that thing is. Um, you know, just do your, your your daily roundups about what's going on here. Um, but then also, I think it I think it'll be really good for people to um, follow our website. I think it's Austin is right, Kathy? Yep. Yeah, um, and on there we'll be um, having you know as many updates as possible regarding the the issue of reimagining public safety and. Um, you know, we have a petition for people to sign, and a lot of information, um, so people can be aware of what's what's actually going on. Um, and then, other than that, you know, they can also follow, you know, AJC um, AustinJustice.org, or um, you know, ATX Justice on Twitter, and Austin Justice Coalition on Instagram. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be a lot of work um, that needs to be done in in the coming year, and we we hope as many people will join us in this fight as possible.
1: I know we're running a little bit over time. I'm wondering if before we end real quick, if I can kind of get a a final few thoughts from each of you. Um, I, I, you know, in covering this, I think there's just so much confusion and, and rumors out there about like, what does defunding the police mean? And, um, you know, there's all of these kind of buzzwords that are thrown around, but um, I'm wondering if I could hear from each of you in your own words, like, when we talk about things like defunding the police, what, what does that really mean to you? And what kind of like positive vision are you trying to to put out there? What What do we really mean? what What could that mean for for Austin? Um, I'll go. I'll
3: go first because Chaz is going to be so much better. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, it means that. For a variety of reasons, year over year, Austin has continued to increase funding for police while decreasing funding for all kinds of other services to the point where after decades of constantly increasing police, we have come to a place where police are doing a lot of things that if we were creating a rational system, we would not have them doing. We do not need to send armed guards to, frankly, give you a traffic ticket or have armed guards you know, diagnosing mental illness. You know, we've really gotten to a place where we have simply got police as the only staff available to do whatever we need done. And so that is who we send. And I think um, for me, this is a process of writing an imbalance that has been created and it may need a lot of writing like it may the ship is really unbalanced and it may need a lot of rejiggering and moving money around to come to a place where we're actually providing services so that we're not treating everybody like criminals
1: what about you jazz
0: um you know I, i think for me this this process around um, just reimagining public safety, you know, reallocating resources from the police department um, is is a first small step in righting some of the wrongs of our past and in, in this country. Um, and you know, I, I would I would challenge people to think that you know if 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 the mechanisms we have in place. Um, that we call public safety isn't safe for all, then is it really public safety? You know what I mean? Like the fact that for some people in our communities and society um, that are black or brown or poor, when the police show up, it's a completely different story than if you're wealthy or, you know, affluent. And I, I think until we get to a place where whenever you call that number or you, you reach out to this, this, this public safety thing, um and it's truly safe for all then i you know i would i would beg um to say that maybe we don't really have public safety and if we do it's not equitable and it's not fair and it's not just for all um so i think as we try to get to a nation you know that lives up to the ideals of the constitution and and all the great things that's written in that um you you know I, i think this is the first step as to how we um start moving forward together, how we move collectively, how we struggle together. Uh, right. Because if, like, like I've been saying a lot, if one of us um, are not safe because the cops show up, then none of us are. If one of us are homeless, then we all are. If, 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 you know, if women are not getting paid equally for the same job, then we're all not getting paid equally. Right. Well, well, I guess men are getting paid more. But, um, <laughs> you, you know, I, but I think um, I think once we start to um, realize that these injustices are not just a one-off thing for one group of people and that they really affect us all, um, you know, I, I, think, I think we'll be better off for it. So, and again, this, this reimagining public safety and reimagining police is just one small tandem of that.
1: Okay, lots of great info from Chaz and Kathy. Now we're going to hear from Councilmember Leslie Poole, who represents District 7 in Central Austin and was just re-elected for another four-year term. I had the chance to speak to Leslie at the end of 2020 about a whole host of different issues, including her reflections on city council's historic budget decisions. Let's give it a listen. I want to shift gears a little bit, but talk more something about something else that happened this year, which is a lot of efforts around police reform, which you were very active in. And um, I want to I guess I want to start by. You know i think there's been a lot of confusion um after after city council made its budget decisions um, because a lot of the work is still being done right this is a this is a process <laughs> that we're going through as a community um but i i think um you know i wonder for you personally as a, as a council member like what what was it that started to really get you galvanized around this issue I know you and your staff spent a lot of time pouring into these budget documents and and looking at how to do the work and I and I've heard you speak pretty eloquently about it you know it seems like a lot of times we can get stuck in these like slogans and jargons but but for you when you're looking at it and your role why did you feel like this is something we have to
2: now is the time to do something
1: we have to change things up a bit
2: Well, what we were seeing in Austin was being repeated all around the country and, frankly, around the world. So it was certainly of note. Um, I think that uh, the reimagining of how we police in our city is a long time coming. I think things came to a head. I'm still not sure, frankly, why it was that our police department was suited up in as, as militaristically as they were. Um, that last weekend, that, that famous May 30, 31 weekend, I just was, I, and I spent the whole weekend watching from the various videos that I could, both from the press and from some of the um, citizen videos that were on the ground watching what was going on. And I was, I was really undone uh, pretty emotionally undone by what I saw happening, both the the look, the optics of it, uh, which I didn't understand if this was indeed, which it was, a peaceful protest. Why did the police feel like they had to deploy um, uh, suited up like soldiers? I didn't understand that. Um, I've done my share of rallies and protests and walks, and I've never, ever felt Uh, physically um, threatened, never been injured, didn't know anybody who had been injured. And here we were with people with um, pretty significant injuries that will be uh, life-changing for them. And of course the city is being sued. Um, uh, A lot of suits are being filed against the city because of the actions of the police department that weekend. And so it was a real wake-up call that things had gotten to a place that we didn't know and um that we needed to do something about it and that community of course was pretty clear on the concept very few people spoke in support of continuing the police department as it was
1: right it's starting you know i feel like it was getting to a point where and sometimes you can hear it in the rhetoric it's very much this like us versus them mentality and and you know, that's not supposed, to, the, the police officer supposed to be on our team, right? You know, that's, that's the idea.
2: That's right. Yeah, it was pretty divisive. And the position I took all along was to be in the middle. I had regular talks with both the Greater Austin Crime Commission and various folks with the APA and of course our staff, and also with folks with the Justice Coalition and Just Liberty. Kathy Mitchell is a longtime friend of mine. And um, uh, it was really kind of And it was great to work as closely with her in crafting my budget proposal. This all was happening while we were doing budget too, which was also pretty interesting um, because budget is where I really dig in to programs. It's kind of the lifeblood of any organization, how the money flows. And we can use um, very strategically how we invest in programs and operations to Uh, continue the quality of life that uh, citizens in Austin, residents of Austin really look for and expect and frankly demand. And here we were with this (laughs) entering into, with with the pandemic context, not really sure what kind of funding we would have to work with. We had gotten the CARES funding, which was significant. We had already put in place the many different programs in order to get cash into the hands of the residents of Austin who really needed it. We were focusing the PPE and the financial support on the communities that were being disproportionately affected. Austin is really good at that. We do look at those communities that are having a harder time than others. We do invest in uh, our lower income communities. That's kind of a, a tradition in Austin. It's not new to this effort. Um, But that was sort of the context and then we, you know, policing and having to reimagine the culture to to redirect the culture and reimagine what it looks like wasn't part of what we had prepared for. So again, the city manager and his professional staff and all the staff in the city responded so quickly you know not everybody knew which direction we were going to go and frankly some of us weren't really sure where we would end up either because that's part of the the budgeting process is you you have that really healthy debate on where we're going to invest and i think in the end we we came out of it in, in, in exactly the right place where we should have we did cut about 50 million it was about 30 million that the city manager had cut from the police department Before we got the budget, and then we added about another 20 to 22 million to that. We put about 130 million aside um, into holding accounts because we're not going to stop having a uh, forensic science lab, for example, but it doesn't need to be housed at the police department and it doesn't need to be staffed by police. Um, that should And, and that's a department
1: that's had a lot of issues in the past. It's not as if it's, you know, that's, that's a long-standing thing the they city council's are. been working on.
2: Right. The rape kits was, was a pretty dramatic finding that um, I guess had been hidden. And then it was discovered by this council a couple of years ago. Uh, the city of Houston made their forensic science lab independent back in 2012. And fortunately for us, uh, the gentleman who was um, uh, appointed to head up that work in Houston um, uh, now lives in Austin. And um, he uh, has contacted Councilmember kitchen and me and we had a really good conversation with him and the chief and um, assistant city manager Ray Ariano about what all goes into um, moving the uh, forensic science lab out of the police department. And, and yes, it's, it's work that's ongoing. One other thing um, that I should mention is the uh, training, because that was the other really big flashpoint point was uh, canceling the training uh, classes, uh, the academy next year. And we just graduated 42 um, uh, new officers at the end of October, which was interesting, that, that hardly ever got any press. But even while we were having these arguments, they were in the academy and they were training up and, and they did graduate a couple, about a month or so ago. Um, my focus on the police work now is to make sure that we get that curriculum rewritten as fast as possible. And as, as well as, po- kind of like the <laughs> finding the vaccine for COVID, you know, everybody wants it fast, but they know that it needs to be done properly. And so uh, it's, it's a similar situation with um, rewriting the curriculum for the training to reflect the values of the city of Austin and make sure that we're not um, saying one thing and training another or training one thing. And then when you get in with your, um, your uh, training officer, when you're a new on the beat, um, a, a newly a new grad from the academy that you kind of get untrained and retrained into, you know, different ways. We really need to root that out and make sure that that we've, you know, kind of across the board um, on the proper um, on the proper administration of of, of justice in our community. So that's that's a big focus for me going forward. And the work is proceeding. It's sort of more behind the scenes. You had asked me if there were things that um, the community can get involved in. And I wanted to make sure that everybody knows that a couple of things. There's been some public engagement. Each district had like a town hall. Mine was back in October, which seems like about 10 years ago and they've they've happened in each of the districts. They may still be ongoing. I don't have the schedule in front of me, but that was underway early on to kind of capture people's feelings at that point. And then there's a cross-functional team at the city, plus folks from all the stakeholders. And I mentioned before the Greater Austin Crime Commission and the Justice Coalition, and those folks are all part of the work. And um, when I have my meetings with the city manager, I regularly ask him how that's going, because it's really important for us to continue to recruit and bring on fresh new blood. These young kids just getting out of college and high school, you know, it's um, that generation, I'm very optimistic about the, just the breadth of their knowledge and their sophistication, even at a young age, they have a real grip on um, what our values are and what values they wanna see in their community. And they really have a desire to help build um, communities. And and I'm really grateful for that because certainly we need need that. And um, so there are going to be more opportunities for input there is a website, I think, up on the city um, in that vast city website that would have that information. And maybe we can put that up or offer that up to folks when you put the podcast out.
1: For folks who don't know, our Texas legislature only meets once every other year. so they're they're not here often. and And the governor has already kind of threatened. I, I don't know exactly what the words are what he's legally allowed to do to like, overtake the police department in some way, Um, Austin's police department, because of what we've, the changes we have made. Do you, uh, like, I I don't know what.
2: Yeah. So part of that is kind of sturm und drang. Um, He's posturing. And, you know, he was really doing it leading up to November 3. I mean, we'll probably hear some more about it Um, later on. He can't introduce legislation, but of course his, you know, the, the Senate or the House members who are Republicans and who agree with him are doing that now. The thing is, is that there are some rules even the legislature has to follow and they can't just take over. I don't, I'm pretty sure they can't just take over Austin's police department. They can't write legislation that is that narrowly focused. They would have to, you can bracket, but it's got to be a broader bracket, like cities over 750,000 in population. But then that would include El Paso and Houston and Fort Worth and Dallas. And they're not aiming at them, even though they're they're headed by Democrats mostly. And I know Abbott would like to kind of take them down a peg, but I'm kind of curious to see how how they do, what, what they end up doing. I think there are limitations on what they can do, um, literally on what they can do, no limits on what they can say. Right. And so mm-hmm. there will be a whole lot of that going on.
1: Yeah. You know, you mentioned that the legislature and all these different folks can, can say whatever they want. And I think that's part of the um, issue or what you're seeing stir confusion or um, anxiety from folks in town. And um, one of the things that I have always found most interesting about local government is that we're, uh, this is the level where, you know, a lot of work does get done and and you do have to figure out how to talk to different folks because, you know, we all live in a community and, and we want to make progress forward and that involves the police and um, you know, different activist groups. And I wonder as a council member, like you said, you're having to talk to all these different folks. How as a community can we start to, Move forward and and you know and genuinely make some progress together, and and not just be bogged down in these like fights that feel like they're being driven by by people outside of our our community in some ways.
2: Some of that is work that we do as individuals, where we um, view with skepticism uh, the more heated rhetoric especially that comes out from uh, a party that we may not belong to and that is clearly calculated to divide. So um, and that also means like not chasing down the rabbit trails on social media, you know, just kind of taking a break from that. Uh, another piece is working with friends and family and neighbors uh, in engaging um the conversations in ways that are inclusive. And then expanding that further in like a neighborhood association, if you belong to one, or if you have a fellowship group that you go to, or even a book club, just, you know, moving that circle ever larger and you will find um, lots of um, common commonalities. Uh, Because again, this is Austin and municipal government, the two main the two main focuses, the two main reasons for being for, uh, for government is health and safety. And this year we've had that really as marquee issues, starting with the COVID stuff, we were clearly confronted with a, safety, a public health issue and the safety of our public's health. And then here come the police, situation and there we were hit with the public safety issue. Can we reasonably expect our police department to protect us and to guard us and, and not to harm us? and what do they think their mission is and how is that working into the community? And um, this year has been just an object lesson in the reasons for local government just guarding the, the public the public's health and safety.
1: And that about does it for today's episode. But before we end, I want to echo some of what we heard from our guests and encourage you all to get engaged in this process, at least in some way. Big decisions about the future of our city's public safety system are being made, and they're going to affect us all. So a few quick engagement tips for you. Number one, like we mentioned, is to visit the city's website dedicated to reimagining public safety. That's where you'll be able to find city reports, info about upcoming meetings of the City Community Reimagining Public Safety Task Force. Um, It's all basically right there for you at austintexas.gov slash public safety. Again, that's austintexas.gov slash public safety. And then number two is to attend one of the city's upcoming community-wide public input sessions. There's one on January 28th from 5.30 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. And again, you can RSVP for those at austintexas.gov slash public safety. Okay, <laughs> that's really it for today. Uh, but be sure to stay tuned for upcoming episodes as we continue with our series on policing in Austin. As always, you can find podcasts of our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. To learn more about the Austin Common, you may visit our website at theaustincommon.com or follow us on Instagram at the underscore common. This show is hosted by myself, Amy Sansbury, and produced by John Hoffner and broadcast live via Co-op Studios, a cooperatively run community radio station based right here in Austin, Texas. To listen to more of Co-op's amazing lineup of shows, visit koop.org or tune in to 91.7 FM. Thanks.